The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning, guys. I'm going to be reading today's scripture, which is coming from Matthew chapter 14, or chapter 4, excuse me, verse 17, and then 23 through 25. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him through Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tatiana. Well, I've been looking forward to this uh, series. Uh, this morning, kicking it off, and uh, before we dive into this passage and talk about the kingdom of God and who our king really is, let us spend a little bit time in prayer, uh, and I would just encourage you to ask God to open your hearts to what he might have for you this morning and um, what hope he might drive deep into your souls and some things that you may have heard of in the past that uh, maybe you're not believing this morning. Uh, so go to God right now and just ask him for those things. Our great God, you have given us your word as truth that our hearts and our minds and our souls might be shaped around them, that we might live a different life, that we might have hope at the very center of who we are. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would bring hope to the hopeless, that, Father, those that have uh, limped into this room, that you would bring healing in their hearts and their minds and their souls. Oh God, I pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would help us to leave believing. We believe, but help our unbelief, oh God, because we need you. Even show us our need for you this morning, but show us Jesus and all of his glory and all of his might that we might be changed. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that indeed you intercede for us. That it's not my sin, it's, it's not my past, it's not my future that you see, but you see the, the reality of who Jesus is for me, and you delight in me, and that is good news. And so, Father, I pray that we might even hear that this morning. Lift up our heads, show us your love, convince us, convince us for the first time, convince us again of the realities of your gospel, especially the gospel of your kingdom. 
And we pray this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. One of my earliest memories, uh, I guess I was probably five years old, and I lived in West Memphis, Arkansas with um, my mother and dad, and my mother took me to the store. I don't know, we probably were having people for dinner that night, and uh, we went to the corner store, and she left me in the car. Now, this was back in the, I don't know, probably around 1970, and that was kosher. That was cool to do. Uh, it wasn't summer. It wasn't 150 degrees in the car. Um, but it wasn't that cool uh, because she left me in the car and she told me, don't touch anything. So, you know, the very first thing I did when she left is I touched everything. I got behind the wheel. I'm trying to drive. I'm trying to reach the pedal. And apparently I hit something because that car was parked on an incline and I started rolling. And I tried. I couldn't hit the brake. My legs were too short. I rolled across the street and into a fence. And what I learned from that is children are not meant to be behind the wheel of a car. And that's the message of this series. Friends, we are not meant to be behind the wheel of our lives, but there's one who is. This, this, this series is about God's kingdom. And the whole concept is if we can get around this concept of Jesus as our king then we, and we live with him as our identity, then that will fuel kingdom living. All the living that we see, like in the Beatitudes and so forth, will be reality in our lives if we understand that he's the king and he has authority to tell us what to do. But he's a good king because he came, he lived, he died, he rose for you and for me. Jesus begins his public ministry. And we see in verse 17, he says, Repent! For the kingdom of God is where it's at hand. And then in verse 23, Matthew tells us that he goes throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and preaching what? The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. It is good news that we have a king. It is good news that he reigns. And you see, this pronouncement doesn't just come in a vacuum, but it has been long promised. The people of God have been waiting for this king. They didn't understand his nature when he got here, but they've been waiting. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 1 uh, and, and through 3, we see that we were created to live under the rule of God. We weren't meant to rule our own lives. And, and it's the kingship, it's the godship of God that men rejected, and therefore God put us out of the garden and said, if you know best... If you, as my daughter Whitney, who's here this morning, used to say when she was a little girl and we tried to help her, I do it myself. That's the attitude that God gave us over to. Oh, you want to do it yourself? As Dr. Phil says, how's that going for you? And yet, after putting us out of the garden, what does God do? He gives a promise. It's called the Proto-Euangelion. It, it, theologians call it that because it's the first pronouncement of the gospel. It's the first good news that we get after we are sent out of the garden. And what do we read? We read this in Genesis chapter 3.15. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise, some translations say, crush your head, and you're just going to strike his heel. And friends, that's what we feel right now living in this world. Jesus has yet to crush the head of Satan, and Satan is just tapping away at our heel, trying to disorder our lives. But oh, there's hope. 
because the king is coming again. We see this march all throughout the scriptures. Genesis 12, the promise to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in all the families of the earth shall you be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. There's hope that the world is going to be healed again. We see it in his promise to David in 1 Samuel, excuse me, 2 Samuel 7, 16. Listen to this kingdom language. God gives this promise to David. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And time marches on, and John the Baptist comes, and he declares, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus in chapter 4 says the same message. The king is on the scene, and things are going to change. Hope has arrived. He legitimizes this claim through his teaching, through his miracles, but also through the reality that he conquered death in our behalf through his resurrection. But his promise doesn't end there. You say, I don't feel the hope of the gospel on most days. Well, guess what? He's not done. He is coming back one day, someday, and he is going to make everything new. He's going to make every hurt come into healing. He's going to make all things bad good. He's going to take what is messed up, and he's going to bring it back to order and back to goodness. And that's what we will experience forever because his reign will be realized in all of its glory You see, friends, our lives in the meantime are meant to be lived under his reign. And friends, that's where we must camp if we want to experience the joy and the gladness of the kingdom of God and Jesus himself. Do you know why Christianity is not working for you this morning if that's where you are? It's because you have moved out from under the kingship and the lordship of Christ. You have have forgotten that he's a good king. He is for you, not against you. He loves you. He doesn't hate you. And he is at work overcoming the circumstances of your life. Let's look at this good king. The first thing that we see in this passage is that the gospel of the kingdom is the good news that your long-awaited king has arrived. This is good news that Jesus has arrived, that the kingdom of God is at hand. we've got to realize this is what we long for. And we see it on so many levels. I thought of so many illustrations, but I'm just going to go to a presidential election because we're about a year and a half away and it's already cranking up and we're already nervous. We're already feeling uneasy. Who's it going to be? Why? Because we, it matters who has authority over us. And we want somebody over us that is going to leverage their power for our good not our harm. That's why we we feel offended when someone votes for the other person because we take it personally. You voted for them, and yet they are not for me. That's what it's all about. It's about power, and it's about us agreeing on who should be in power. And friends, the kingdom of God is Jesus coming and saying, I am the king, and that's what the Scriptures show us. The people of God have been begging for a king and begging for a king I've been reading Samuel recently, and that's what the, Israel does. They say, God, we want a king. And God says, you got a king. I'm your king. And they say, nope, 
That's not good enough. We want, well, we, no, we, no, really, we want a real king. We want a king, a physical king, who's going to bring real relief to us. God said, okay, here you go. And it didn't take long before they were saying, God, we want a different king. And that pattern just keeps on rolling, doesn't it? Why? Because we were made not for the kingship of men and women, but the kingship of God himself. And this is the goodness of the message. Jesus is telling us this morning, you may have tried all other authorities and rulers, but I'm different. You can trust me. You can give your life to me. My rule is good. Jesus is king or Jesus as king, his rule is infinitely superior to all other kings. Why? Because he came not to give us tax relief or not to enact a new program, but he came to conquer sin and death. He came to deal with our real need. He conquered sin and death. What do I mean by that? Here's how he conquered sin. He came down and he lived under the law. Why? Because God has a perfect standard. He has to because he is perfect. He can be nothing but perfect. And therefore, he must demand perfection from those who are his. But we are not perfect. If you hadn't figured that out by now, I don't know what to tell you. But you don't have it together, and I don't have it together, but one did, and his name is Jesus. And he did that not to shame us, but to represent us. He represented us before the law, so that, and he obeyed the law perfectly. Why? So he could go to the Father and said, I want you to look at Richard Reeves and see my record, not his. I want you to accept Richard as you accept me. Do you understand that is what Jesus, your king, has done for you this morning? And then he went to the cross. And what was happening on the cross? It looked so brutal. It, it looked so uh, savage. And in so many ways it is. But in reality, the justice of God was being satisfied so that we don't have to experience that savagery. So we don't have to experience the right and just judgment of God. Why? Because God judged his son in place of us. And so now sin has no effect on us. It has no power over us. Our sin even now doesn't have power to separate us from the love of God. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the law in our place. And God treats me as if I've never broken any laws. And, and Jesus atoned for my sin, and he treats me as if I've never sinned. My sins are paid for. And now, then, after going into the tomb for three days, he came out so that death has no mastery over you and me. Do you get that? This, these aren't just words in a song that we just recite. We recite it because it's true. And if it's not true, then we are wasting our time. That's what Paul tells us. Jesus rose from the dead so that you and I can have confidence in the face of death. Death, you have no mastery over me because my Jesus died and my Jesus rose and he represents me before death. He is my power. And though I die, I live Though I'm gone, I'm better than I was before. 
That is the, that's the Christian hope. It's not just some teaching, love your neighbor, try to be as good as you can, and life will work out. No. It's the, glory, it's the message of a glorious king who has conquered sin and conquered death for you and me. And all we must do is put our trust in him and say, bow our knee to him and say, yes, you are my Lord. You are my king. You are my master. And oh, how good you are. And this is why we can trust his teaching. He, he is the gospel. It's not his teaching that's the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. When he said, I, I proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, he was saying, I'm proclaiming the, me. I'm here. That's why he says, hey, the scripture, he doesn't say the scriptures say, he says, I tell you when, he's, when, he, when he preaches. And the people marvel, whoa, this is different. We've never had a rabbi that says, I tell you. We have a rabbi that says, the word tells you. And Jesus says what? I am the word. He is the word. And why can we trust what he teaches us? Because he is a king who got off the throne and came down. He got in the mire to lift us up. He wasn't a king who said, okay, let me see if you're worthy to be in my kingdom. He is a king who said, I know you're not worthy to be in my kingdom, so I'm going to do something about it that you might get in my kingdom with full acceptance and full rights. And we can trust him. Art Perea, who preached during our sexuality series, had a, has had a huge impact on my thinking and, and, and understanding of obedience he um, is um, a same-sex attracted um, believer. He's a gay Christian who's convicted that, that he needs to live celibate in, in following Jesus. But this is what he said. He said, I am willing to accept a life of celibacy not as God's second best, but as God's best. Jesus will only call me to a life of flourishing. And friends, that, could, that convicted me to the core of who I am because I started looking at things in my life saying, am I gladly accepting the call of God and the authority of God on every area of my life? And the answer is no. Am I believing that what God is commanding me to do is for my flourishing, not to rob me, but to heal me and to lift me up? That's the nature of our God. And His love is the power to obey. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, in love He predestined us for adoption to Himself through Jesus Christ. Think about those words. In love, our salvation was not an afterthought. It was not happenstance. In love, he predestined us to be adopted to himself through Christ. He wanted me. He wants you. You're not a mistake. You are a wanted son or daughter of the king. Because our king conquered sin and death and fully, completely, and truly reconciled us to God, there is never a moment that he's not loving you or me. He can't not love you. In fact, he's delighting in you. You say, Richard, you don't know what I've done. I, do, I may not, and you don't know what I've done. But God does. 
And he's the one who's telling us this. He's the one that's saying, this is the gospel. And if you're having, this is the effect right now that you are having. This is the conflict, this is the confliction of your, of your faith and your soul of how can a holy and righteous God love me when I know who I am? Dear friends, you're beginning to understand the gospel. If you don't marvel at that, you may not believe the same gospel that the Bible teaches. Because this is grace, and it's all of grace. And the king has won it so that we might live in this world with the confidence that he is delighting in us. No matter what our hearts tell us, no matter what our minds tell us, his word and his actions tell us that he loves us. And his love is powerful enough to sustain us in this broken world as we experience the sharp edge of evil and suffering. For he is a king who came in weakness, but he's going to come back in power. He is coming back, dear friends. We're not done. This isn't the end of the story. The story goes on, and this is how it ends. King Jesus remakes us and remakes this world forever. One day, someday, there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. Why? Because King Jesus comes in the midst of this world, and he makes it new. If you, if you think for a second that you're going to miss something in this world, you don't understand the hope for which Jesus lived, died, and rose again to give you. Oh, I'm going to miss eating steak. Are you crazy? That experience is just a hint of what he has for you. Uh, every, literally everything... Every relationship, every good thing that we experience in this life, the mountains, the sea, the, the swimming pool, the food, whatever it is, oh, that's just God saying, taste and see. Because one day, someday, you're going to look back and say, I was longing for those things when you had this for me? I'm talking hope, friends. I'm talking blow your mind, hope. I don't know how many people in here have heard the name Tim Keller, but I want you to know there's probably no other man that's had more of an impact on me and my thinking about the gospel than Tim Keller. He was a pastor in New York, and he died a couple of weeks ago. And it, it, I think he had, well, I know he had much more influence on me in, in watching him die from a distance than he did in the hundreds, a thousand hours of sermons that I've listened to. If I'm running, I'm typically listening to Tim Keller. And, um, and so, as he battled pancreatic cancer over the last two or three years, I, now, maybe I missed something, but I didn't see him saying, okay, guys, I'm going to take a break from writing because I, re I really want to go on this two-week trip, um, you know, to try to get the fun in before I die. He just kept writing and teaching and going about his daily life up until the time that we got notice that Tim Keller was being released home on hospice and he only had a couple days to live. There was no difference in the Tim Keller at his, before his pronouncement of pancreatic cancer 
than there was after. And this is what he wrote. Michael Keller, his son, released these words, this quote from his dad from his hospital bed two days before he died. He said this. He said, I'm thankful for all the people who have prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. That blew my mind. Why? It, it encouraged me so much. Why? Because Tim has, has lived experiencing the reality of Jesus. Not preaching some, some hypothetical Jesus that he didn't really know. He was preaching, his life was coming out of the reality of King Jesus who lived, died, rose again for him and is coming back to usher in the new heaven and the new earth. That was Tim's reality, and that's what drove him in the midst and the face of death. And friends, that is why Jesus has lived and died and rose again and given us the promise of coming back that we might have the same hope. It, that if God tells you you're going to die tomorrow, okay, I mean, I'm sad. I grieve the reality of, you know, I have to because I'm so vested to my, my family. And, but, oh, I can't wait to see the Jesus that I've been praying to, that I've been experiencing in prayer, that I've been preaching about, that I've been having these realizations of, of his truth more and more and more, that I've been growing in knowledge and experience of. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to experience the reality of the goodness that he promises throughout his word that is the hope of the gospel. Dear friends, is Jesus your king like that? Your king has arrived. And secondly, the gospel of the kingdom is for those who see their need for King Jesus. I love this. Jesus preaches. Then he begins to heal people, drive out demons, and, and, and minister to the afflicted. And people started coming out of the woodwork. They're coming to him, and, and we read this in verse 24. So his fame, and I love this, his fame, <laughs> his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. When this king is inaugurated, he brings healing, and the world flocks to him. Now, listen to this. Listen to verse 25. I've never seen this before in this passage. And, and, and this is what it reads, verse 25. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis. And listen, and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now, you Bible scholars, what does that remind you of? Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. What does that remind you of? Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Do you see what's happening here? When his people, when we the church um, are about what Jesus is about, we don't have to go to the world. The world's going to come to us. When we're about healing, not judging the world. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. When we can hold out a Jesus that can bring healing to anything that ails you, when we show that kind of love to our neighbor, they are going to flock to him. When the true nature of the kingdom of God is experienced, we won't have to go to the world. The world will come to us. 
kingdom citizens. This, all of this is true. You see, who is, who is flocking to him? People that see their need for healing. And that is who, that's what the church is. The church is not a group of people who have it all together and sprinkle Jesus in their lives. The church is a group of people who are convinced and know better than anybody they have nothing together. And, but Jesus does. And therefore, the essence of the church, the very DNA of the church, is, is what? It's marked by weakness and need, not independence and self-sufficiency. Does that mark your life? Friends, we don't have to pretend in this place. You don't have to hide your brokenness from me, and I don't have to hide my brokenness from you. People come to me all the time, Richard, I can't believe you share so much. Why wouldn't I share? Because the gospel is, your preacher is messed up, but he follows one who's not and who's putting him back together. That's the hope of the gospel. It is for real broken people. The Pharisees weren't coming to Jesus. The religious leaders weren't coming to Jesus. Who was coming to Jesus? Those that knew they were sick and broken and needed healing. And that's who the church was. And yet Jesus taught us to pray what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in heaven. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Do you know the job, the mission statement of the church? It's to make the invisible kingdom of God visible to the world around us. That's what we are to do. And what's the nature of the kingdom of God? It's healing. Dear friends, are you a healing element? Are you a peaceful? Do you bring peace in your relationships and in your, in your community in this city and in this world? Are you about that? And I love this because so many of us, of you are. I'm watching it. You're directing your life. You're laying your life down in career and so many other ways to serve and to bring goodness, to make the city better. And I hear people say, well, we don't have enough programs. We need a we need a, uh, you know, a closed closet, and we need a soup line. And may those things are wonderful. But no, we need to be the kingdom of God, not prop up some ministry that makes us feel like we're the kingdom of God. We need to bring real healing to those around us, real equity. We need to be involved in politics. We need to be involved in our community and education. We need to be on the front line graciously and lovingly but boldly saying we are bringing healing and we're exposing the darkness and bringing light. That's what we're called to on earth as it is in heaven, out of grace and love. I thought about this this week, and your ministers, we, we discussed this. And if you want to be a part of healing, we know some needs in our body. And if you want to be a part of healing... And, and, and you want something practical to do to bring the kingdom of God to even people in this room, I want you to do one thing. I want you to email me and just say, I want to know more. And my email should be up there, richard at downtownchurch.com, and that's all I'm going to say. Then thirdly and finally, the gospel of the kingdom is that Jesus is a king worth living and waiting for. We are in... You say, Richard, I don't feel like Jesus is king of this world, where we're in the middle of his inauguration of the kingdom and, and the time when Jesus comes and, and the realization of his kingdom. We live in the middle, and the tension is real. 
And the battle is on to believe and to represent the kingdom and not our own kingdom. And it's not easy. But that's where we are. We have to hold on to the hope that Jesus is coming and that all things will be made new. Even as we see and we read about the stories, I read about a three-year-old who, was, who shot himself, I guess, with his parents' gun playing with it yesterday or the day before. When is it going to end? If you don't feel that, in the day, and so many more stories we could tell about so many other tragedies and events. If you don't want this to end, something's wrong. You're not feeling, you're not engaging, you're living in some fantasy world. Because that's what Jesus wants to heal, and that's what Jesus is going to heal. But friends, for us to be a part of that in this world, for us to be about the healing of this world, extending the healing of God that has come to us, to those around us, then we've got to let go of this world as our hope. I listened to a podcast this week. And this is um, how this, I think it was a preacher. I don't even know who it was. My son-in-law, one of my son-in-laws uh, texted it to me. She said, hey, listen to this. It was unbelievable. Um, and, and here's a quote from that message. In order for the world to exist, we cannot own a home. You're like, what, what, what are you talking about? What he's saying is this. For the world to be what it should be, you can't make it your home. Because if the world is your idol, then you'll try to comfort, you'll try to, you'll try to build a little, you know, insulation around it. You won't really stand up and try to work for its good because that takes boldness and confrontation and self-sacrifice. You got to let go in this world. You say, I love, I want to see this world become what it should be, but in its present state, it's not my home. He goes on to flesh this point out in this imperfect, broken world. He says, We must see loss as necessary, not as out of place disruptions. But loss in our lives must be necessary reorientations to gospel reality. Did you hear that? Your loss and your pain and my loss and my pain that is real and deep cannot be something that we simply sit in. It's got to be something that drives us to the, to, um, the reality that, that, uh, that is coming, not the reality that is. Are you following what I'm saying? You've got to let go and you've got to say, what I experience right now, it hurts. And there are days that I don't even know if I can go on, but oh, one day, someday. I know what's coming. I know my king is going to show up, and I know he's going to put an end to this. He's going to put an end to relational hurt. He's going to put an end to isolation. He's going to put an end to sickness and death. He's going to put an end to depression. He's going to put an end to joblessness. He's going to put an end to inequities and injustices that that are pervasive in our society. He's going to replace unjust systems. He's going to do it all. And therefore, we've got to look forward to the day when he does it. The Christian hope is a remade world. And you say, Richard, I just don't understand. I mean, how do we live out of that now? Here's my illustration, and we'll end with this. Um, let's go to the Memphis Grizzlies. So, we're all bummed. They got knocked out early in the playoffs, Right? We're all gloom and doom. Ah, and then Ja does what Ja does. Oh, man, what in the world? Our team is just, ugh. 
Imagine if they were still winning, and tonight is the third game. We're three up, and tonight's the final game, and we're that close to the championship, and we win. Imagine what this does to this city. We take, I've said, think about the Memphis Grizzlies. I bet most people in this room hadn't thought about the Memphis Grizzlies in a while. They kind of left your mind. Why? Because they weren't victorious. Oh, but let's just go with me. Imagine they are victorious tonight. Is anybody going to work tomorrow? Heck no. Is this city shut down for a week? Absolutely. Are we lifting up the players, marching down Bill Street, praising their names, giving them a key to the city, lauding them as the Savior? Absolutely. And all of us, even those that hate basketball, Why? Because we all want a significant victory so bad. Do you know why? Because you and I were made for a significant victory. And it's the victory that Jesus has won. I've said it so many times. We're all, it's so hard to live in this world. We're all weighed down by our own sin and the sin of others and the brokenness of of everything around us. And we are united in that. But one day, someday, that's why we're going to hail King Jesus. Because he's going to come and he's going to level it all. And we are going to feel existentially existentially and, and experientially in every way. Our whole bodies, our whole lives, all the hurt and pain of the past will be gone. And we will be caught up in the victory. And we will want to be in front of the line helping hold Jesus up, lauding him as we, as we go down the streets of gold. Why? Because he's victorious over everything that has ever oppressed, hurt, demeaned, or gotten us down. Friends, Jesus is the king you're looking for. And he's got the future that you were made for. Would you bow your knee to King Jesus this morning? As we come to this table this morning, I want you to say in your heart of hearts, if you're a believer in Jesus, I recommit my life to follow you. I trust you. Forgive me, oh God. Forgive me for not. Forgive me for thinking that your teaching is too cumbersome. Thank you for the forgiveness I have and lead me forward. And if you've never believed in Jesus this morning, that's the Jesus I want you to believe in. And if you want to talk about that, I'm available. You've got my email (laughs) now. I would love to talk to you and not judge you, talk to you, befriend you. That's the hope of the gospel. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you. Oh, we laud you as king this morning. Oh, one day, someday, we won't be able, nor will we have to, withhold our worship of you. We long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Put an end to the suffering and bring healing. May the night turn into day. May the the frozen tundra of winter be melted and warmed in in the warmth of your love and your might. And, oh, God, may the flowers of your goodness bloom throughout this world forever. Encourage us, oh, God. Strengthen us. And may we be the community that you've called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hallelujah. What a glorious hope we have. Uh, may we stand for the benediction. It's just God's blessing um, through His Word to His people. Uh, dear friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you, and, and may His grace come to you, and may the light of His countenance shine on you as well and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends. Thank <laughs> you.